Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with Brad Perry of the band Worn in Red. We talked about NXS's 1987 album, Kick. We also talk about how that multi-platinum record helped forge Brad's identity as a young skateboarder and later punk rocker. Brad's band, Worn in Red, is reuniting for a string of shows in the Virginia area and for an appearance at Fest 20. Brad's been a great friend for a long time, so it's awesome to see Worn in Red kicking around again. And while I know families might keep them from hitting the road, I hope they decide to stick around. My band, Late Bloomer, played Worn in Red's last show in, I believe, 2015. So it'll be amazing to play with them again one day if the stars align. Don't forget to check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash pod. My co-host Sarah and I, we listen to records we liked a lot when we were younger and revisit them as much older and jaded individuals. You can subscribe for as little as $1 a month or more, and you'll get an exclusive episode every week. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at SpinningOutPod. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment, and I hear reviews definitely help. Okay, let's chat with Brad. Hey, Brad, how's it going? Uh, good, Josh. Uh, I am living the aging punk dad life in Richmond, Virginia, and uh, trying to play music and skateboard where I can. Yeah. Um, I think the last, I'm trying to think, I don't know, time is so messed up right now. I'm like, when was the last time I saw you? That was probably like 2019. Well, it was probably Fest. Oh, yeah. You went to the last Fest? I did, yeah. Tony, um... Tony, Tony was like, you should be a stage manager. You've, you know, you've, oh, you've yeah. been coming for years and you've like never actually worked it. I'm like, you're right. I shouldn't like, I should just see what it's like to work it one year. So he was, he, I don't know. Tony's awesome. He, he was like, here, which, which one of these shows do you want to do? And there was a show with like Whalen Storms and Florida Man and mm, I can't remember who, like yeah. a bunch of friends bands. And I was like, it's all I, I would be at that one anyway. <laughs> like, let's, I'll do that one. So it worked out. Yeah, it worked I out for that. Tony too, because it was like, it was like the late shift, which means that like, if he has somebody he can trust uh, to pay the bands on the late shift, that's like one less like, you know, runner or whatever. So yeah. Um, and I feel like with places like, it was like Fox Lounge, Fox Lounge. Um, they were kind of like, they were newer to be like a venue with. So I feel like some of the venues like, well, I want to say the the Atlantic or uh, like Lucy's, they kind of know the drill because they've been doing it for so many years. Like I would assume the kind of relationships they have with places like Fox Lounge are a little different, you know? So yeah, so you do need a Brad Perry uh, plugged <laughs> into you know, those situations, you know? Yeah, it was a weird, but, yeah. it, was a, it was a cool room, but uh, they definitely did not know what they were getting into. They like, like I remember Whalen Stars had their smoke machine going and apparently the smoke was like getting into the restaurant downstairs and setting off the fire alarm, but like mm. they couldn't figure it out. And then they finally figured it out and they were like asking me to like shut the show down. And I was like, whoa, just chill out for a minute. I can, I'll just tell them to stop using the smoke machine. It'll be fine. Like you don't need to like kill the whole thing. Or uh, there was some other situation like that too, where I was just like, they were just like totally freaking out about something that was like not that big of a deal to handle. You know, I was like, yeah. it's all good. What's this? 
What's so strange about that is like it wasn't like the first year that it had been a venue there. So oh, I thought it was yeah, it feels actually. Like, oh, maybe I'm just forgetting. Like I said, like time as you know, or maybe it was like quiet stuff. But I I feel like, but also the thing with like those kind of venues is it might have just been been a different name like the year before. That's you know like there's that kind definitely... of thing. So that either <laughs> means that it's completely new people for the most part, right? Or it's like the same business with a different name, which seems to be whatever's going on at like eight seconds. Seems to be they just change names. I, I don't really know what their business yeah. model there is. I, I mean, yeah. Was it knocking boots? And it's been like a few different things. Uh, but yeah, no, I think Fox Lounge was, I think, new last year. Um, and then it was supposed to be a venue this year because the band that I used to be in that's reuniting for Fest 20 was supposed to play there. And then I, something happened, I don't know what, because now like all the bands that were playing Fox Lounge, including us, are now playing a different place. It's like still like right in the middle of everything. So I'm stoked that the location was more or less the same, but uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, today we are actually, we're not talking about Fest. Well, we might eventually, but we are talking about NXS's 1987 album, Kick. That's right. And that came out October 12th, 1987, mm-hmm. and it's their sixth album. It went six times platinum and ended up on number three on Billboard 300. What I'll ask is, when was the first time you ever listened to NXS or this record? Yeah, so I have um, really specific... I believe the term they use these days is core memories. Uh, I have really like strong memories of the first time I heard an excess and the first time I heard a song off of kick. So the first time I heard an excess, uh, you know, I was, I grew up in the suburbs of Fredericksburg, Virginia in what is now considered to be the DC suburbs. Uh, I think it was arguable whether or not that was true back in the day. Uh, it was pretty, pretty rural suburb. And uh, there was a, you know, as, as with many rural suburbs, there's, you know, a, a pool, like a neighborhood pool that your, parent, yeah. your parents join and you go. Uh, and that was my life uh, pre, pre-high school was. I, every day in the summer, I rode my bike uh, to like our family's like best friend's house whose yard backed up to the pool. I parked my bike at their house. I walked up the path through the, through the like, woods in their backyard and I was at the pool all day and uh yeah that exposed me to so much awesome 80s music because the lifeguards were basically like the ones who controlled the radio they had like a like a boom box like hooked up to the loudspeaker essentially and they just like I guess it was like we're not getting paid so we're gonna like subject everybody to like the tunes we want to listen to you know which I, I totally appreciate and so it was like top 40 like 80s you know but it, it it tended to be like i don't know of the two stations probably that we had it seemed to be the better of the two and so like that's how i discovered like prince and uh you know u2 and like even like talking heads like all all of the bands from the 80s that like i still have a lot of love for but i remember like i remember like sitting it was like adult swim so I was actually like paying attention to the radio, right? Because when you're just like going ape shit in the pool as like a 10-year-old kid or whatever, or nine-year-old kid, however old I was when, when Listen Like Thieves came out, uh, you're not really paying attention. But, you know, it's when I'm eating my snack during Adult Swim that I'm like 
really like paying attention to what they're rocking on the radio. And they played What You Need off of Listen Like Thieves, which is the, the record before Kick. And I just remember mm-hmm. like immediately like being like, what is this? Like the, the like guitar tone, uh, just it was this really cool like thick clean guitar tone which is what I can say now then I think I just was like this sounds like the guitar tone like I remember thinking like this guitar sounds like the burning down the house guitar on which which was like my absolute favorite song for like the year that that came out so like so the guitar like what you need is is like you know uh and it's it's got this like very similar kind of like uh syncopated like like I don't know the the way that like the the guys like striking the the notes um, for the chords it just has this like percussive thing to it that's really just grabs your attention at least it grabbed my attention and then there's this cool like uh, like heavier riff that that's like later on in the song it's like like overdriven and and has this really cool like like it's it's just like got so much going on in one song that it, I was just like, what is this band? And so like, it, I was like, still kind of like, I don't know, new to buying, like, I guess back then it would have been tapes. Um, but, and, and I like tried to find, I was still new to like figuring out like, okay, this is a song and it's on a tape and I got to remember the name of the band. And I, I remember going yeah. to like the Sam Goody in the mall, which was like where you went and bought stuff back then. And like, trying to find like the, I found like the NXS NXS section and they had like five records and I was like I have no idea like I couldn't find it and and later I found out that like probably the tape had been sold out because it was like it like had like become like a really big hit like really quickly so I never got that that tape until like later on uh, I just had to like wait for it to come on the radio and then like like I don't know a couple years later maybe like a year and a half later um, I was riding in the car with my dad and uh, like Need You Tonight, which was like the lead single off of Kick, came on the radio yeah. and I immediately was like, this is the same band. Like this is this is the same band that does what you need. Like I immediately knew it. You could tell from like the guitar tone and Michael Hutchins's voice. And now I was like a little more like I like bought more music because I was like, you know, at this point in 87, I'm like 11 going on 12. And I'm like this, all right, like, I gotta, I gotta make a mental note of this. Like the DJ said it was called Need You Tonight. Like, like I gotta go out and find this record. And there's like, I remember my, I asked my dad to like turn it up as soon as I realized it was in excess. And, and I, like the song immediately like grabbed me. And he's like listening to it with me. And, and my dad is like this really sweet, like, uh, like genteel, like Virginia guy. And he's just like, <laughs> what does your moves also wrong? You've got to let me know mean. <laughs> you know, like, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> He's like, is that about do, sex? You know? <laughs> do you feel like that's like an accurate impression of your dad? Oh, yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, great. Like, that's great. I remember like, he asked me that and then he was like, oh, I, I love my dad. But, like, he, he's like a good little, good little Baptist boy. Now he's like, Okay. very like yeah. aggressive you know sweet like retired college professor but he uh 
at the time, you know, he was kind of like, like he asked about the movies so raw. And then he said, uh, Oh, what's the line about, um, Oh God, I'm blanking on the line, but it's like something about sweat. And he was like, he was like, I don't know if I like these lyrics. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, it's, yeah. I was like, just listen to the music, you know, like, like, don't, don't ruin this, you know? Uh, and so like, then, like, I think at that point I was really into like taping songs off the radio. Like I would like, mm-hmm. like wait for a song to come on and like hit record. Like that was like how I got access to a lot of music. Cause it was like, you know, like I only have so much money and like, you have to like get a ride to the mall and you know, all that stuff. So, uh, until I could get a ride to the mall and buy the tape, I just like, you know, taped it off the radio. And I must've like, I remember like, I, I must've listened to like that recorded off the radio, like the week or two weeks before I actually could buy the tape. I think I like wore a hole in like that section of the, of the, the tape. Cause it was just like a running stream of consciousness tape of like, I would just keep recording songs off the radio until like ran out of room on one side and I'd flip it over, you know, and then like go back yeah. and whenever I want. And do you feel like you remember like seeing any of the songs, like, like music videos or like, I know you're saying like need you tonight, but the other they had other singles from this record so do you feel like from your memory like were you just like here's another nxs song on that tape like eventually was it like half the album um you know on that tape yeah so a couple of things about that so one is and this will i've already clued you into the the your listening audience into how old i am so i i am (laughs) i'm i'm 46 uh and MTV was still a relatively new thing in 1987. Yeah. And definitely not something that my parents were interested in. Uh, even, I don't even know if it was, honestly, I don't even think at that point MTV was even available in Stafford County on basic cable. Like, I think you mm-hmm. had to like pay extra, you know, it like, wasn't part of like the regular package, which was like, that's why they did that whole, like, I want my MTV campaign for like 10 years because like they were trying to get like, all the different regional cable providers to just like put it in the basic cable package. Um, like, I don't even think we had it until like 1990. Like, I'm pretty sure we finally yeah. got it like right before Nirvana hit. I remember like we finally got MTV, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So I didn't see the videos on MTV except like maybe at a friend's house or something. But what they, they did have was when I went to go buy kick, I saw that they, um, they had like a promotional poster for uh, Flick, which was the VHS companion to Kick. Oh, okay. And it wasn't yeah. out yet. It was like coming, you know, whenever. And I was like, all right, I'm saving my, I'm saving up like 20 bucks to buy this like VHS tape of Flick. Yeah. And it had, I still remember, uh, it had videos for An Egypt Tonight, New Sensation, Devil Inside, which were the first three singles, I think. Uh, Never Tear Us Apart, which was the fourth single, Mystify, which was uh, the fifth single and the last single off the record. But then it also had videos for like some songs that were not released as singles, at least in the US, like Guns in the Sky. And I think, I think maybe Calling All Nations, but I might be wrong about that. And then they had like tour footage and the band goofing around, like, you know, like typical kind of like promo stuff. But I watched that a ton too. The, the video for Guns in the Sky is actually kind of awesome. They're, uh, they filmed it the same weekend that they filmed New Sensation in Prague. And they found mm-hmm. this like old 
kind of medieval building that had this insanely long hallway. Like, just like, it, it was like, you know, like a 200 foot long hallway, but it was all like ornate and like beautiful, like old, like, like construction. And the whole video is just like a camera on like a dolly and they start at one in the hall and Michael Hutchins is just like running at the camera. The camera's like coming back at the same speed as he's running, as he's singing. And like, they pass like the members of the band in the hall and they just keep like, every time it gets to the end of the verse, the hallway starts over. So they had to like time it uh, perfectly. It's kind of cool. Yeah. 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 I, I, I went to watch, like, I, I always like to see, usually what I like to do is uh, kind of like watch a band do like the late night circuit yeah. around the time the record was coming out. But I actually couldn't really find a lot of them doing late night stuff around this time. And I think that that kind of late night circuit with bands really kind of got big in like the nineties into the two thousands. Yeah. Like, it's not to say that they didn't, it, it could just easily be that that footage isn't, you know, online, you know, but it seemed like in the '90s and into the 2000s, it was like if you were a band that hit on the level that this did, you, you know, you were going to be on like every one of them, like a, you know Jay Leno, David Letterman. So instead, though, it is interesting to see like how much footage they had because it's like this is a really popular record, but I think sometimes like it's possible that they wouldn't have prepared this many like videos uh, going into an album because. I guess you're not assuming that any one record's going to be that popular, but so much like a like flick and then have like so many music videos for all of these songs is still like kind of strange. Like even thinking about like, let's say like black album by Metallica, it's like, I don't even think they have this many like videos for like one album cycle. Yeah. You know? I, I think it might have something to do with um, like, so there's, a, there's a whole interesting story of like how, and you can find like articles about this, but I, I, I read a ton about NXS and watched everything that, you know, like I watched like the Australian made for TV movie. I watched the documentary on Michael Hutchins. I didn't uh, know that existed. Oh That's yeah. Great. There's uh never tear us apart. The story of NXS. It's, it's like, it, I don't think it's, I wouldn't say it's like historically accurate always. Like, I think a lot of mm -hmm. people are pretty pissed about how they were portrayed it's it's yeah. a little bit like soapy you know like they, they have you seen the deaf leopard one no oh no i oh, have a... i have yeah is it to do you think it's to that caliber yes of... and, and in much the way okay. that there's like melodrama that's kind of you know probably not exactly as it went down uh yeah <laughs> there's that in this too but there's a lot of cool stuff you know written like i think nxs is one of those bands that like hit really big in the late 80s had a great mm -hmm. follow-up album to that and then grunge kind of like killed them and like not didn't kill them like it killed the hair bands because they in excess had enough like credibility and like weirdness to them that they kind of held on a little longer with like suicide blonde and like a lot of those singles from x but they didn't really hang on too too much longer than that you know yeah um i mean as far as like being like super massive you know like uh they, they and then obviously uh Michael Hutchins died and they, they talk about, they talk about the, the sort of how like the alternative wave in the early nineties, like there was a lot of, I think like argument about how to like, do we, do we like try to do that? Or do we just kind of like stick to our own thing? And they talk about that in both the documentary about Michael Hutchins and they talk about it in the, it's like a plot point in the, 
in the made for TV movie, I think, unless I'm conflating those, but, uh, but yeah, so like, I think the video thing with them that is probably part of, there was this whole, like just full court press for that record because they had had a huge hit with what you need. And they were like, this is it. Like we have to, it's now or never, we have to like follow this up. And so their, their whole intention with kick was we're going to write a record that is nothing but singles. Like we're not mm-hmm. gonna we're not gonna have like any tracks that are just like transitional. Like even the transitional songs are gonna be like potential singles, right? Which is like you know you get like never tear us apart and like mediate and like songs like that. So like yeah, uh, I, that's kind of you know a, a lot. Not every band would like come out and just say like <laughs> like yeah we're just gonna write like an album of hits, you know, like and just be like well that, that's hard. Them. That's that's hard though, because I mean that is really confident because it's like, I feel like I could I could say it, but it, you would you even know? Like you, I mean, I feel like sometimes you're like, I think this song will be a popular song, right. but it's like, and I, it's so because I'm trying to think of like where they were in this point. You know, like X, you know, was hit pretty good, and then I was looking at, uh, like live, they were on like the Live Aid stuff, uh, for you know yes and so it was like they were already a big band by that point and live aid was 85 so that would have been that would have been listen like thieves x um yeah. no x, okay, x was later like x was uh like x 90. is later um, okay that was like All around right. the same I'm time as backwards. like rem out of time like that i remember like that true around the same time so yeah listen like thieves but you know so i was kind of surprised with live aid because i i thought i thought with nxs kind of where they completely broke like, I would have thought this was, like, their second record. Like, I had no clue of the history of this band until doing this. And I'll be honest, like, there was a point a few years ago where there was this... I might have been, like, five years ago now at this point. But there was, like, a Facebook thing going around that was, like, you know, a letter. And then say, like, oh, with I, what's your least favorite band? And for some reason at that point, I was, like, I don't know, in excess, you know? And then I remember Neil, uh, my bandmate, being, like what are you talking about? NXS rules. And then I was like, I mean, they suck, right? Like I was like, I don't know. And then, but I realized what I, I'm going to forget who I thought they were. Cause I think I kept doing this. Ice house. Uh, the other Australian band. No, someone, someone with uh, someone else, another band with X in their name. They're like a British band. XTC. Uh, Andy Par- yes. <laughs> And, but then I've gone back and listened. Well, that's the thing. I've gone back and listened to it. I'm like, I don't know who I was thinking of. Like, and it's like, I know it's not the band X. Oh, I, know. I like X a lot. King's X. You know? But I, I mean, that band is they're terrible. a whole different thing. I don't know. I kind of like them just because of like how cheesy they are. Uh, and yeah. uh, it feels like such a specific thing that I feel like I can't, I feel like it's so specific. I can't hate on it in the way that like, this i guess in my head i was just like this is just like a pop band why would i you know care but with revisiting it even at that point and then to this conversation and i'm like this is an undeniably great record <laughs> like yeah. and going back to the singles thing it's just like i don't know how you would have the confidence to know that they are going to be singles i would say that there are probably there are definitely more than 5 songs on this album that are undeniably good 
Yeah. So I yeah. think you, more than that, even, but I'm just looking at the lowest part. You look at like their history though. Right. And they were like an Australian bar band, basically. Like they, they were like yeah. super influenced by like every Australian band was by ACDC. So they, they, they liked, you know, they, they wanted to have songs that like had like distorted guitar and, and driving drums. Right. So like, so like every, every Australian band of their generation, like ACDC, huge influence. Uh, and even like there was like a huge garage scene in Australia that I, I don't know if if in excess was like aware of it, but they would have had to have been probably like like Radio Birdman and like bands like that that were like kind of the stooges of of Australia essentially that were like mm-hmm. you know influenced like the bands that then everybody knew. Um, and then they were they were super into like kind of blues rock and funk and soul, and they so they had all these kind of disparate influences that like most bands would be like, let's pick a path. And I think like you listen to like the early NXS stuff. And then, and also when they first started like post-punk and new wave were like, you know, the, the thing like in the late seventies, mm-hmm. early eighties. And so like, you can listen to like their first couple of records and like, you have a song like don't change. And it's like, Oh, that's like straight up, like killer new wave song. Like they have like the synth mm-hmm. in there, like the melody, the, the, the way the bass and the drums work, like everything about it. Let's still love that song off their first record. Sounds nothing like the yeah. rest of the album. Like it's like the rest of the album is like, like here's a couple of like bar band blues songs and like here's a couple okay. of like you know. So like and then like the next few records you see like they like I don't really like a ton of their early catalog stuff because it's like okay here's the funk songs here's the blues songs here's the like pop soul kind of here's like the rockers you know like um, not like. I mean, it's not like you, I wouldn't totally dismiss, like there's some really good songs on those records, but like they hadn't quite figured out how to like put it all together yet. And then listen mm-hmm. like thieves, you still have some of that, like meandering into like, this is the, that song. But then you have like, listen like thieves, you had what you need. You had like songs on that record that are like, oh shit, they've figured out how to like take all this stuff and stick it together in a song and make it feel like a cohesive song that sounds like something new. And, and like, I think they like, they were like self-aware of that's what they had. Like, I think they set out to do that and they're like, oh shit, we did it. And not only did we do it, but people like recognize that we did it. And like, this song's a massive hit, like all over the world. That's our formula. That's what we got to go after. So I think that's why they like, it was like years of trial and error. And then they finally kind of figured it out. And then they were like, all right, let's make a whole album of this approach to yeah. writing songs and of like different combinations you know where we're we're never going to do and in fact i read an interview with andrew ferris who's like the he was like the main the main like songwriter i guess along with michael hutchins um but he uh he wrote a lot of this original like demos for kick and it, he, he was like talking about um there was like a an article out there that's like track by track and he's like He's like, yeah, the only song on here that I don't really, in retrospect, understand how it made the cut uh, was, um, what did he say? I think it was like Wildlife, maybe. He was like, he's like, yeah, it's that's just kind of the only song on there that feels like we were just going for like a generic rocker and like we didn't really follow the formula of the rest of the album, which was like, let's try to do something weird and mix up all these elements. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's one of the only ones in my head that I'm like, I'm kind of struggling to recall it, right. just kind of like looking at it. Like all the re- uh, most of these, I feel like I can kind of get a vibe of what I think the song is just off the title. Yeah. And 
but also I would say the strange thing looking at the track list, um, I actually think that Guns in the Sky is a weird way to start the record. It really is. But it's also because kind of because of like what I feel like from a distance the record is. It it is kind of like I I've talked about this in other episodes, like bands that kind of put that first track that sort of like you're either in or you're out. Yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. Like I feel like it's a little bit polarizing on like purpose. challenging. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of like if you if you get this, then everything else is going to be swimming, you yeah. know. Like I feel like I've talked about like Bob Mould does that a lot. I feel like his his second track is technically the best the better track, you know. Yeah, Afghan and, and Wigs uh yeah. do that sometimes like on that on uh yeah. in spades that birdland song is like i was i remember like the first time i listened to that record i was like what the hell is going on <laughs> but you know i'm already yeah. invested in that band so i'm gonna like and and then that song grew on me you know? but yeah i totally get that yeah but but it's but it's interesting because i think that like if you if for some reason this is like the first time you've ever heard in excess or this album if you kind of like ride out this track then I feel like it pays off, you know? So it's not like something that doesn't end up working. It's just like trying to thinking about everything being like a hit. Yeah. I'm like, that's a strange thing. And then you telling me that there's like a, a music video for it. I'm just like, that's, that's the only thing strange about this record. Uh, well, I think that was also it, because they, so I was talking about that full court press that they did Yeah. at the time MTV was still trying to prove that they could break a band. I, I read this in some mm-hmm. article somewhere. And they were going to like, they were like, basically Atlantic was like, you want to prove that you can break a band. We're going to like, like NXS is poised to like take over the world because they'd had the, the hit with the previous record. You want to prove that you can break a band here. And they, so they had shot, like they, they had just made this major bet on NXS. And so they had shot Need You Tonight. And then they went to Prague and they were supposed to just shoot New Sensation, which they knew was going to be like the follow-up. And they were like, uh, we're here. There's this cool building. Let's just shoot a video that, you know, the simple concept of like going down the hall. What song fits the best? Oh, Guns in the Sky. All right, let's do that. <laughs> like, yeah. So they so were just like it, yeah, producing what yeah. we would now call like content to just be like, mm-hmm. all right, let's go. Like MTV, like you, you said, you're going to program the shit out of this record. Like we're going to give you the stuff to do it, you know? Yeah. So I guess with Guns in the Sky, it's more like, well, we're already here. Right. I think that yeah, was a, so. like an opportunity just to, they, yeah, they shot it like the same weekend. It was like, eh. Um, yeah. One of the notes I wrote down was that I feel like it transcends New Wave. And I feel like what I mean by that is when you kind of look at this record as a whole, like it feels almost actually more akin to like, like I don't know, thinking about like Never Tear Us Apart and like Need You Tonight. They just straight up sound like kind of like 50s doo-wop, like R&B songs, but just not that they're... It's almost like they just took the framework of those songs, but then they were like, let's just put 80s instruments on it, you know? So it's not like they're trying to like recreate this thing like I feel like we do more now. Like, you know, it's kind of like we put all those clothes on. It's like, well, we'll dress it up like we normally do, but it's some of this it just feels like like earth angel or something yeah so and that's like such an interesting thing and, I, and the interesting thing is uh, about those two songs so never tear us apart was originally like a, a kind of a blues piano ballad so imagine the strings being played on a piano 
blum, blum, mm -hmm. blum, blum. you know it's like very different like yeah. almost like a um like a yeah i don't, I don't know like I'm not, I'm not very school in the blues but like you can imagine what that sounds like uh very different right like very different style and so it was demoed i think you can find the demo of it with the piano the original demo of it somewhere online and it's just like i listened to it one time it was just like oh wow like this is a totally different song like this gives you a completely different vibe and you're right i think yeah. you i think it's like when it was more stripped down like that you can hear the influence a little more i think need you tonight is which is just such a like interesting song like there's like elements of prince in the way that like mm -hmm. the drums and, and guitar interplay that not a lot of artists can ever achieve like that's a that prince is kind of like wholly unique in my mind but like that like that that has like a very kind of like funk like neo-funk kind of thing but then there's like the elements of like uh the way he's singing it is is more almost like a bedroom eyes kind of blues or soul song or something like i don't know how like more mm -hmm. of a soul song i guess like I, I don't know it's it's a lot of it's hard to disentangle the pieces more i think on that song because there's a lot of different kind of genre play going on yeah, I think the interesting thing, it's it's a hard balance because I feel like a lot of times where lesser songwriters would be like, oh, well, we have like a kind of neo-funk kind of vibe going on. So kind of like then they start building it in that direction. Right. But they're conscious enough to like, well, we got enough of that element in there. So let's just kind of like, how do we kind of go the other way with it? You know, and not like yeah. a way that you're trying so hard to like make it like dissonant or something. But it's like you know you already have the element. So it's like when a song starts getting rootsy and then people really lay into like the country of it. Yep. And I'm like, but you already got the rootsy. You don't really need to kind of add all that in there. You don't need to put a cowboy hat on. Right. You know, like <laughs> like just kind of like let it be what it is because in a sense it's like Prince does this too. It then becomes kind of bigger than what people will categorize like whatever people will categorize prince as a whole I, I don't really know it gets kind of complicated they're kind of doing the same thing like you were saying and that they don't want to just give you that right and it sounds so simple because i mean it is but it's it's the hardest thing to land on yep that i i don't know because it's like i could talk for hours on like that you should do that in songwriting but how you actually accomplish it like they did on this record, I, I have no clue. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think those guys are just like prolific songwriters and just like nonstop. Like the the story of uh, Need You Tonight, uh, they were they had recorded like probably like two thirds um, or seventy five percent of the record already, and the producer was like, which by the way, here's a crazy fact: the producer Chris Murphy, I think his name is, is was the Sex Pistols and the Pretenders producer. <laughs> Oh, wow. he, that's who did listen like thieves and kick which is crazy hmm. so th that dude was like hey um so these are all really good songs i think you guys need to like get a little weirder and write some more songs to kind of flesh out the album if you're trying to achieve what you're saying you're trying to achieve and so andrew ferris and michael hudgens were like all right cool and so they they were like they were gonna andrew ferris is gonna fly to hong kong which is where michael hudgens was living and he was like getting ready to go into the, he was like waiting 
to cross the street to get into his taxi to go to the airport to fly to Hong Kong to write the final batch of songs. And yeah. he just, it just like hit him, the, the riff, the bump, bump, bump. And he like went over to the taxi driver and was like, hey, like here's like a hundred bucks or whatever, like don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. And he like ran back up to his his flat and like eight tracked real quick the main parts of Meet You Tonight and then like lost track of time and came back downstairs 45 minutes later and the taxi driver was like, what the hell? You know, like, he's yeah. like, like, all right, go to the airport and apparently made it with like two minutes to spare to go, you know, and then like immediately like, showed the song. So it was like one of those like, boom. And then apparently like Michael, Michael Hutchins, apparently Michael Hutchins heard the song and immediately was like give me a give me a, a piece of paper and a pen and like wrote the lyrics in an hour like yeah that's it <laughs> yeah yeah the guy's name uh that you were referencing uh chris christopher p thomas so he did work with uh pink floyd uh roxy music bad finger uh paul mccartney pretenders and yes sex pistols so yeah the guy has credits yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so and yeah he yeah, they worked Chris with Murphy's him previously the guy from LCD sound system I'm, I'm mixing it up <laughs> yeah but also too like when i was looking at i mean outside of their names so okay so their names actually sound very australian to me but there's a lot of other people that worked on the record i guess maybe they weren't australian because chris christopher thomas now i'm seeing he was british right so there were like such either british or like anglicized names that i'm like there would be no way that I would remember any of these names. Like they're just like Chris Thomas, like, you know, like Mark Reynolds or something. Yeah. And you're like, what? You know, but, like, but yeah, I don't know. Just, but then you like, have so... like the two, the, the, my two favorite named members of NXS, Gary, Gary beers, which is the best, <laughs> the best bass player name ever. Yeah. And you that look at that guy like and so you're like, Australian. Oh. That guy's definitely named Gary Gary Beers. Like, just one look at him. It's like, yeah, yeah. that's a straight-talking Aussie right there. And then... But why, by the time, like, he hit, like, 91, I think that's when the Wembley stuff was, it's like, to have a guy named Gary Gary Beers, but then he almost just looks like someone's, like, firefighter uncle or yeah. something. Like, he kind of seems like a normal-looking dude. And he had kind of like, like, Gary a, Gary Beers, like a yeah. jeans and white t-shirt greaser aesthetic, like, through a lot yeah. of their heyday. Um, I mean, all of them had crazy, like Kurt Pengilly, who was like the multi-instrumentalist dude. He played keys, sax, mm -hmm. guitar. He had this crazy, like, like if you, if you look at him on kick, he had like total like Buddy Holly vibe, which at that time was not cool. You know, like Weezer made it cool later, but like, it was not cool. <laughs> like, Was it, what, do you feel like it, well, I mean, I guess like you in hindsight, but I was kind of wondering with them like having songs that sort of feel like an updated version of the band is called the Penguins that did Earth Angel. I'm like, how obsessed with kind of 50s culture were we at that time? And I guess you're saying that. So I guess I'm, we're just kind of saying the two, the same thing, but in different ways. It's like, I feel like the 80s were really obsessed with 50s culture, but I guess what you're saying is maybe they were, but it wasn't like cool. It wasn't, a, I wouldn't say it was like a direct, like if you were just like directly trying to emulate the 50s, that's not what the, the 80s were all about, like put neon on top of it, make it ridiculous, you know, like it was like updated, you know what I mean? Like you look at like True, Back yeah. to the Future, which is what this is. Yeah, yeah. That, the whole like thing of Back to the Future is like playing with that idea of like, uh, you know, nothing new under the sun kind of but 
it's dressed up differently, you know, <laughs> put neon on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So like, I mean, even like the future, you know, back to the future too, like the, it's, they still have skateboards. They just fly. Right. It's like kind of this, it's like the exact, the kids still do it for the same reason. It's just like different, like update. So like, do you think, Oh, sorry. No, no. That, um, do you, do you think that, okay. Were you skateboarding yet when you got into this? Not so I had ridden a skateboard as everybody of my generation, like literally like every guy my age, I feel like saw Back to the Future, immediately begged their parents for a skateboard. Most of our parents were smart enough to realize that we were not serious about it at that time and did not spend money on an expensive skateboard. However, that had the unintended, I think, or kind of like inverse effect of like if you bought a shitty Veriflex or Nash from AN for 30 bucks, they were, the wheels didn't roll. They were made of hard plastic that didn't grip. The board was like, like oak flexible plywood, not pine, like laminated, like, so you couldn't really pop anything. You'd snap it in half. Like, so it was funny because it was like, oh, well, because I, I would try it and I'd be like, oh, I guess I don't like skateboarding because this sucks. But it was like, it was because the skateboard sucked. You know, and I remember the first time I actually got on a real skateboard I was like, this is awesome, you know, which was probably like 88, 89, maybe. So yeah, I was already way in excess at that point. But uh, but yeah, I had, you know, in 85 or whatever, when whenever Back to the Future came out, I'd like every other kid, I'd beg my parents for a, a board. And I got a, a cheapo Veriflex that I immediately like was like, this sucks and never touched again. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering with it having a skateboard on the cover, if it sort of... Like was just like a simple yeah, thing, like not just a skateboard, but other. a Vision Psycho stick, which was like yeah, pretty pretty legit skateboard. Um, I mean, that definitely, you know, I'm not gonna lie, like that probably subconsciously somehow made me like that much more positively disposed. I mean, I was so obsessed with NXS, I had the like six foot door poster, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. Like like the six foot tall door poster with the cover of Kick, like relayed out in like a vertical like format. I mean, I was like, I yeah. had two NXS shirts, neither of which I still own, sadly, because um, they were made right. of that, like, Screen Stars, super thin 80s, like, you'll tear it if you, like, look at it <laughs> material. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, as you started getting into skateboarding, do you feel like you kept, did you keep listening to a band like NXS or did you kind of just go like, oh, I'm punk now? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely, like, the, the moment that I heard, uh, you know, there was like a handful of bands I kind of heard all in the same week or month. And it was like, you know, it was probably, probably like they might be giants of dead milkmen and, and maybe Ramones like first. And then pretty quickly after that, it was like Black Flag, Descendants, Minutemen, Firehose from a skate video. And then like literally, I think like the same week, it, like I borrowed a Minor Threat tape and a Bad Brains tape and like violent thems and some other stuff and and i was like off to the races so that was probably like you know 89 90 and i i i never fully like stopped liking in excess uh and like i remember i bought x when it came out and i bought live baby live when it came out and I, but i remember i had this this, this girlfriend uh it, when i was like a sophomore in high school and it's funny, she actually went on to become like a like a culture writer. She like she was like on like she was like one of the like commentators on like one of those like VH1 like you know 90s or 80s shows or whatever. Mm. <laughs> like, so you know, 
in in high school, maybe her opinion was more legit than most if she went on to that. But I remember her being like, I I had just bought like one of those tapes and she was like, in excess? I remember she was like horrified at my taste, you know? Cause she she yeah. was into like, you know, cool stuff. And uh and I liked the cool stuff too. Like I liked the underground stuff and then like all the stuff that was blowing up like REM and Nirvana and, and stuff like that. But I just I still, I still had love, even though I maybe wouldn't admit it uh, to anybody for a while. I still had love for NXS, and then I got older and realized, like, fuck, NXS rules. Like, I'm not gonna like hide the fact that I like, yeah. I love this band. They were like them, Prince, and U2 are probably like, like I will say this: there are like, the, there are three bands that made me realize that I think, like, like I remember thinking to myself. I think I like music on a level that is greater than most people like music. And I don't mean that as like a, any mm-hmm. kind of weird flex. It's just like you, I'm sure you identify with this. Like, like there was a point when I was like 11 or 12 where I just realized like when somebody asks what kind of music do you like, I'm going to name specific bands. I'm not going to be like, oh, anything but country, you know, like whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. Like I realized like, oh, there's two camps. There's like probably a minority of people who are like, borderline obsessed with like music and how it makes them feel and they're searching out stuff you know constantly even pre-internet there's people who are kind of like yeah music's fine like i like whatever's on the radio you know and i realized in the moment of hearing like first first was probably prince then nxs and then u2 because i think i I, u2 was like when joshua tree came out i was like sold which was the same year as kick uh those three bands like made me realize progressively that like i think i I think I have an emotional connection to certain music that is beyond what is maybe like considered normal. And then, mm-hmm. you know, then that, then once you're just like, Oh, that, that, I just accept that about myself. Then you're like off to the races to, to check out, you know, whatever you can get your hands on. Yeah. And, and with like getting into skateboarding, like it's, it's like just right there. I mean, it's, you can't really separate the two. Oh yeah. Especially back then. Yeah. Like the Santa Cruz videos yeah. all had SST exclusive soundtracks and the H street videos had all these like super obscure, but sometimes amazing California punk and hardcore and just weirdo underground bands like plaid retina and sub society. And I mean, shit operation Ivy. That's like, yeah. you know, I'd only barely heard of that band when suddenly they were like, in know, H street video. And then I was obsessed. Yeah, most, I mean, it feels like most music that I still like to this day were things that I discovered in, like, you know, BMX videos or skate videos, and just, like, even for a long time, it's, like, you kind of forget what they, what they are. I remember, like, there was even, like, like, Love and Spoonful. I was, like, for a long time, I feel like I couldn't figure out what it was. Right. And then, uh, because it's just, in my head, it just sort of became, like, a weird Rolling Stone song or something, and I was, like but I can't really find it. I didn't know what it was. And then it ended up being like summer in the city. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, well, that's because of like a, you know, 151 video. Right. You know, like they had, yeah. <laughs> and it was just like, just years later, it kind of hits you back and you're like, oh shit, that's who yeah, that is. What is you it know? with all of the skate and BMX videos being so bad about crediting of, of that era, being so bad about crediting the bands? <laughs> like if they like might maybe throw like a title card like thanks to these bands but you wouldn't know like which band was which song and like it yeah so it just annoying. kind of goes up really quick at the end you know it's like the quickest kind of credits you know that's what um, i always loved I about like... uh the santa cruz videos or the, the nhs videos is that they would always have like a list of the bands specifically like 
Mm. sometimes even the song with some of the videos which was like oh awesome that was you know i can recognize that lyric so that must be that song yeah there was this uh bmx video company called props and they would actually like kind of put in the credits but also like title cards when it when it came up so it was a little easier kind of like i think like later four four and one videos kind of did that too um so it was a little easier to kind of but like 151 that was basically like creature you know it's almost like creature kind of vibe and more hash kind of things yeah. like i mean you know it was like if they were putting anything in those kind of videos like you know it barely had credits on it you know uh just kind of felt like one of those things where it's like you take two vhs tapes and kind of exactly you know, record all the diehard movies off of hbo or something you <laughs> exactly. know that that was like the quality of it but even like you take the tape from somebody but then put another tape in kind of like most of our music ended up sounding like right uh yeah so i mean i remember the like I, like like a little inner achievement uh sadly i don't think any of my bands ever got into like a proper video but there was this thing that was big in like 2010-ish era maybe called Fuel TV, which was mm-hmm. like, they had like a BMX show. I don't remember what it was. They had a yeah. couple of BMX shows, I think. But it was like action sports yeah. channel that short-lived, but was, you know, big for a minute. And there was a, there was a, a BMX show on Fuel TV uh, that one of the segments was they would like go to like a pro rider's home like setup and they would film like footage and it was called like, I don't know, home territory or something, you know, silly like that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, don't, I still don't remember, like, I could probably find it if I had to, but uh, my my friend Tommy was like, 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 hey, nice job on Fuel TV. I saw, I heard a, a Warning Red song in there. I was like, what? And like, he sent me the clip because uh, it was like, you know, streaming, you know, it was like YouTube was only like, four years or five years old at this point, but it was like, you know, they, they had like, there was like a website that was streaming like this like segment. And I remember I went on it and it was like, I was like, holy shit. Like they, like they edited the, this guy's part to one of our songs. Like, like somebody had mm-hmm. like taken the time. So, and, and I, nobody ever contacted us or no idea about it. Like they just used the song and I mean, I was cool with it. Like, you know, like, but it was like, oh, this is the closest I'm going to get to, <laughs> to getting yeah. a video well i guess like well thinking about nxs again because i i almost like want to think about like where they kind of fit and you kind of answered it but all right so do you feel like you had any other friends that would like cop to liking nxs or was that the vibe like was it still after let's say 92 you know or even into like 95 do you feel like you had friends that you could talk to nxs about or would that what no. would that be like talking about now no yeah oh yeah. i don't know uh, yeah whatever the equivalent is yeah uh, i mean because at that point they would have been kind of on their way down a little bit in 92 um yeah i don't know what a good like what's a band that like peaked you know four years but you ago. know like certain bands like i don't know like cure always kind of stays like a thing right. that you can always reference you know smith's even withstanding with Morrissey still yeah. feels like a band that people were just always using as like a reference, you know, right. like, you know, and it feels like with revisiting this, I know that it doesn't have kind of the cool factor. I guess those bands are able to have, but I would say like their songs like rival, or I know it's like controversial, like 
potentially better than a lot of those band songs you know like i don't it doesn't need to be a war between them but it's like just as strong and i think they've aged well was my main yeah point. yeah yeah i mean kind of apples to oranges i guess when, when you're comparing it to because yeah. they're they were setting out to do totally different things but yeah i mean i i mean the, this doesn't exactly answer your question but there was a band um i think there's still a band i don't really know but there's a band that I, I I found them around like 2014. I think they'd already been around for a while. But there's this band called the 1975 that, um, yeah. at least around like 2014, 15, gave me like a heavy NXS vibe. Whatever records they were putting out around that time, and I, I haven't like delved super into their catalog, but, and I think they changed like each each album quite a bit. So I'm, I, they probably don't sound like that anymore. But there was like this one record or two records they put out where I was like, this is the only thing I've ever heard that kind of reminds me of late eighties and excess. And I was way into it. Uh, I was like, this is cool. Like I, I listened to, to whatever record that was for a while there, uh, which, you know, that was like eight years ago, but um, like I remember there was a song called girls, I think. And there was, I can't remember the name of there's, a, there's a couple songs that I'm like, that is definitely in excess. A lot of people will be like, Oh, like Maroon 5 was influenced. I'm just like, get that shit out of here. That band is nothing. Yeah. That band lacks any kind of like, in my mind, like originality to songwriting or authenticity and vocal delivery. Like it all sounds like put on and shit, if you ask me. So I I would not yeah. say they are the heirs apparent. I would say that the only band I've heard that like captures the essence and kind of the sound of of NXS is is that 1975 band. So Maybe that band's not cool anymore now. So maybe like if you cop to liking them, like <laughs> it would be similar today. Yeah. Uh, even though it's what a- was strange, like watching the Wembley thing um, is actually I'm like, damn, did the guitarist in Ceremony like just like get <laughs> the moves from this? And that's like a compliment because it's yeah. like it feels like a lot of I'm blanking. Anthony is his name. A lot of his moves. I'm just like it looks like because like you just watched the Wembley uh, NXS thing like a ton growing up and it's just like your your personality now which is really cool so I wonder even Even if like that newest yeah yeah I wonder if that newest ceremony record if they would cop to be in like you know big NXS fans I don't know those guys seem pretty uh, nice wanted to play with them a few times they probably would they they seem like they'd be all right with it uh yeah. But yeah, that Wembley show is crazy too because A, there's like parts of that that concert where like they're going as hard as like a punk band. I mean, like, yeah, like that dude is like running around the stage, like the guitar players are just like stomping and jumping. Like it, it's pretty awesome to to see like a band that I think was considered just kind of like like oh a huge pop band, but like just bringing it like live. Uh and then the other funny thing about that concert you could totally tell if you watch the later songs in the concert set is they all dropped some kind of psychedelic drug. I don't think any of them have ever copped to what it is, but like there's this story that's been come up in like multiple interviews about how they like, like, I think it was like the fourth song in the set, all of them except the drummer, I think took, took some kind of hallucinogen. And you could tell, like, if you go watch the, uh, the, what you need, uh performance from that set you could tell michael hutchins is just like flying (laughs) yeah but they're all like watching those because i feel like sometimes like i was saying like the late night things i like to watch them because i feel like in some ways it humanizes the bands like you kind of start seeing like the flaws and things but with these wembley shows it's like 
they're so tight. Oh yeah. Like it's it is insane like how almost note for note they are with like this record, which is not a thing that you ever hear. Like even when I watch like good errors of U two, which I like a big chunk of it, um, they're not really per se doing the record as you hear it. But I mean it's still good. It's just that's kind of what I expect. You know, you're like, oh, I'm going to hear some version of it. You know, I don't sure, need, yeah. need to hear Except it. Except for, uh, for Live at Dortmund 1984, which is maybe the best YouTube. Like, everybody talks about Red Rocks, but Dortmund 1984 is, like, heyday of the, the like, post-punk U2 era. And it's, like, insane how incredibly tight and incredibly intense start to finish that, that set is. Uh, yeah, but a lot of times, like, I don't necessarily feel like I need a band to do that. You know, I also think it's, like, fun to kind of see a band kind of go on a different trip than, like, their record sound. But it was also impressive hearing them, like, hit all yeah. of these songs from Kick, which are, like, you know, produced, like, impeccably. That's, like, the weird thing about even U2 and NXS. It's, like, they have such a unique idea of, like, space. Yep. Like everything is like those are the keys, those are the bass, but like I don't know, that's like something I've been chasing for so long, <laughs> like to just get that kind of like everything in its lane. But you don't when you start like thinking about it, you're like, oh shit, that is just bass, you know? Yeah. Like you start feeling like it's like songs don't need as much as you think, and they layer things in a way that's not like it's not like my bloody Valentine where you're right. like I think there's ninety guitars right, there. Right. You know, it's like that is definitely the guitar, but as a whole package, it's, you know, it is what it is. It, it's, I don't know. I, that level of songwriting is just blows my mind. Yeah. You know? And the, they, the, it, there's some cool parts in that Wembley concert where they do kind of go off script to like something that is very, di like what you, what you need is actually the perfect example of that, where they have this huge break in the middle where the, he does like this call and response thing with the audience. It's yeah, really yeah. cool. Um, the other thing that they did that was kind of neat at the time, which I think Prince did this too and a few other artists, but NXS used this really well, was they they would use like, a, a, I think it was like a Roland like 707 or something, like pre, like where where like the, the like metronome timing of the drum machines was still like programmed by a human manually, like at the factory or whatever. So like, like and that was like the, the template for the drum machines. So like it would be pretty damn close to like perfect digital time, but it wasn't like, it had like a little bit of like swing and perfection, just like a tiny, tiny bit, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like, or you could obviously like play your own thing on it, but if you were like playing it to the metronome, like like setting even that was like a little off. This is all like lore, I don't know. I could be totally full of shit here, but this is what I've been told. So anyway, the that, that drum machine was like a, this kind of like, you know, had a place in time in, in the 80s, uh, in that era of the 80s, and NXS used it in a way where, like, and even they do this live, like, they blast that thing through the speakers, and 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 they would have John Ferris like pound the live drums over it, and and he had to be like, you can't even tell on the album, and you can yeah. barely tell in the live stuff because he's so on with this thing, which is crazy, like. It sounds so good. And this is before like quantizing, you know, like beat matching or anything. like none of that existed. Like he just had to like, yeah, you know what I mean? Huh. <laughs> like sync yeah. up with I, his machine. I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's like, it's not something I even realized because it's, it's so 
tight with it. Right. And I'm like, oh, I guess that makes sense because if you if you nail it, if you nail it, then it just sounds huge. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, if you don't, then I guess it sounds like shit. Right. But, you know, like it's, I don't know. It, it, I actually thought in a way that every they just like heavily triggered things. You know, um, for that era, you know, like, but it's, I mean, I think there's some of that that... too live, but if you Mm -hmm. like, if you go listen to like the, what you need performance of that, you can hear like the weird little like program drum track. It's not for the whole song. It like comes in and out. So he's, he's like, I think hitting it and then immediately playing live drums along with it. But on the, on kick, you can, there's certain songs where you listen, you can, you can hear like, like it'll cut he'll also cut in and out of that it'll be like the drum machine and then the live drums will kick in like the chorus and it Mm -hmm. just like the way that i don't know how much time they spend on this or if it's just like a happy accident but like the snare the live snare and the drum machine snare together is like whole is greater than the sum of the parts makes this like crazy like cool like thick cracking tone you know yeah yeah i like that idea though because i feel like sometimes Sometimes I feel like when people start introducing electronic elements, they, you know, they kind of let it like completely take over. And sometimes that's really cool. But I, the idea of kind of like mixing the two together to just be a cohesive thing yeah. is, you know, cause it's, I, I just feel like I see so many bands that are like, oh, we got a drum machine. So that's 100% our personality. Right. <laughs> and then you're like, well, I mean, cool if so, but like, what about it? incorporating it some right. you know um but yeah so they're, they're just i know we've already said it but like they're the kings of kind of incorporating all of these things and together without just being like this is the blues song now right right you know yeah. the uh, genre yeah. genre smasher is extraordinaire it's, it's, it's yes cool. so i guess like what i'm thinking too is do you feel like this influenced you into like getting into playing music or what do you feel like there's a direct like one-to-one little bit um i mean i definitely like there was like a talent show or something i don't remember what it was so like i remember in fifth grade so we had middle school starting fifth grade where i grew up and i remember my friends and i were obsessed with beastie boys license to ill and we we did a tennis racket guitar karaoke version of fight for your right to party for our fifth grade end of year talent show and the response was that's like one of the first that and I like somehow ended up getting cast in like a like a play when I was like in first grade I think or kindergarten I don't remember which um where like I don't know I just had to get out there and like sing a bunch of songs in front of people you know you're just like when you're that young like you you can't you just don't have I don't know I didn't have any fear it was like I was too like young to like care so like those were probably like super formative but then I do remember like maybe in sixth grade for the same like end of year talent show. I'm pretty sure I, I like sang along to what you need. And to Mm -hmm. this day remains like top three karaoke song for me. Like if it's like a go-to, Yeah. but uh, that, that definitely like just something about like the way he sings um, and even to some degree moves on stage, like, I think I probably have more of like a punk influence in there, but like, and I'm not trying to compare myself to Michael Hutchins. It's just like in terms of influence, like that probably was a pretty big influence in the way like I approach, like, you know, going from like a softer singing to a louder singing, not even screaming, but like to mm-hmm. a louder singing. 
again, lots of other influences, but like, I mean, it had to have been like a super formative one on me um, for, for singing at least. Um, and just like yeah. enjoying music. Um, I think other thing, other, other artists would probably have a bigger influence on like, like my first like rock and roll instrument was like bass. Like I took piano lessons for like five or six years. And then um, my friend Ryan Geis and I wanted to start a, like a underground rock or punk band. Uh, and he already played guitar and I, you know, I was like, oh, my parents aren't gonna let me have a drum kit. So which probably wasn't even true, but that's just what I thought. So I was like, oh, I'll play bass. And I, and I loved Mike Watt and I loved like the song Brave Captain by Firehose. And so I was like, yeah, that's all bass. I'm going to just like, I'm going to keep playing until I can play that song, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. And that's what I did. Like, I just kind of like took, took lessons for a little while and was like so obsessed with it. The guy was like, yeah, I don't know, dude, like you, you should just keep doing what you're doing and like play along with like all these crazy records you like. So like, you know, that kind of influenced me there. Drums was like, probably more uh, like definitely Prince, like the rhythms that Prince used, I was, always was like so captivated by. Again, not that I play anything like that on drums, but I just always like that off kilter, you know, kind of like cool, like like his approach to, to, to drums is always so interesting and like the early stuff, at least like pre new power generation. Uh, and then definitely John, John Stanner from Helmet uh, was a big influence on drums. And uh, I don't know, probably a lot of people I'm forgetting, but those are yeah. <laughs> Bill Stevenson. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. So I guess I'm kind of, I'm kind of harping on it a lot, but do you feel like, do you feel like NXS has gotten the credit they deserve? Like all of these years later? Um, I mean, I think the fact that like people can still name probably like a lot of people, at least over the age of like 35 could probably name you at least like three or four NXS songs off the top of their head. And that, and they haven't even really been like a, like a super relevant band in 30 years is pretty, pretty crazy. Um, yeah. And I'm like, are they played on like classic rock radio? Cause I'm like, would that be like a different, they are kind of probably not as much as other artists. Um, I think they've had like a few pop cultural moments. Like I think, wasn't it that show Euphoria? I think like there was like a little NXS comeback. I might be thinking of a different. Yeah, game, they. But... Yeah, I think they did because I kind of looked up like what it's played in because I feel like I'm thinking of certain movies and I'm like I thought I remember an NXS song being in like Dream a Little Dream, one of the Corey's uh, movies, and I'm I think like you're right. I couldn't really find it, but but yeah, in my head I'm like I know there was NXS in that. Um, but yeah, Euphoria did play it. So I guess in that way it, it remains, but it's like, it just feels like they don't get that kind of respect. Like, I don't know, the cure or like, even like, uh, let's say like Depeche mode or like, or you too, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think they had an element of fun to them mm -hmm. that can easily, like when you say, Oh, it's a band that was fun in the eighties, it must've been disposable. You know, like versus yeah. like they didn't have the gravity of U2 or, you know, the artistry of Prince, even though they did. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's just like because they were like, 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 listen to like Devil Inside, like all in one song, you have this like just nasty, great, like kind of dark riff, like, you know, like, and then it goes, yeah. it like the, the pre chorus is like total major key. 
And then like, you know what I mean? It's like, this song is like, takes you on this journey. It all works together. But it, they were not afraid to like, lighten them, you know, take take a song and like not have it all be kind of like somber and seriously, like, you know, like you two tended to do. Like they would be like, all right, like we're gonna kind of take people on this like weird journey within a song even. And yeah, I don't know. I think for that reason, like they, you know, they, and they had like whole songs that were a little, like a little more fun, like New Sensation. Uh, to me, like there should be a place for for that, you know, like you don't have to be like, like seriousness doesn't equal necessarily like respect always. But I, I think that's how people like conflate it, especially like in the eighties where like so much of the fun stuff was disposable and just silly. You know, I think people maybe like inadvertently or, or, or erroneously um, pair them with that. Uh, but yeah, I don't think they probably don't yeah. get the same respect that those bands get. They also weren't a cult following, like, you know, the, the cure relative to NXS is still like a relatively like more, like they're huge, but they're still like relative to a band like NXS, like they weren't never as mainstream. Even Friday I'm in Love was never the level that, you know, in excess was in like the late 80s, early 90s, which. Are yeah, it's like if somehow, I mean, I know that they've they've like officially broke up, I think, in 2012 because they had that kind of period where they were having different singers and then they did like a documentary that's like a rock band. Find us a new yeah, singer yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so maybe that like tarnished their legend, but it's like, I, you know, I'm not you know, in a way, cause it's kind of like extended it too much, you know, but it's like if somehow, you know, Michael Hutchins could just like come back to life right. and they were a band, it's like, of course they'd be a huge band. Yeah. You know? So I guess if they had been able to keep being a band, right. then maybe we'd be talking about them like you too, in a sense. You yeah. Know? I it's think like that's, I, I, you know, I think that's yeah. right. They would have, they probably like lost their way in the nineties and would have found their way back again at some point after a hiatus. Uh, yeah, I could see that. It's really sad about Michael Hudgens too. Like the whole thing that happened was he got into an argument. I think it was like in Amsterdam or something. He was he was like walking with a group of people from a bar and this like cabbie, this like cab driver like apparently like almost like ran him over or something. And and Michael Hudgens was like, What the hell, dude? And the, the guy like stopped and and got out of his car and like clocked Michael Hutchins and knocked him down and like he like hit the cobblestone and like busted the back of his head open and he like lost his sense of i think smell and I think taste it was like 92 wasn't yeah it? and like yeah. lost like lost like some of the feeling in his body and like but like i think like losing losing like he and, he and he was like he had like a like some kind of like you know memory loss and like some weird stuff and but i think like losing the sense of smell and and taste for example was just like it, like he kind of lost his mind and, they, and the, his bandmates all kind of said like he had this kind of crazy personality change for a while where he was really like irritable and aggressive which they'd never ever seen because he was like he was definitely like a like like a exuberant guy but he was never like like violent or angry you know and like suddenly like now he was like having these outbursts when they were like writing a record and stuff and they're like what the hell is going on and later they figured it out it was like brain damage and they um, he eventually, I think, found some like medication and also it had healed. But according to like the prevailing theory, like he never fully regained his sense of smell and taste. And he was like this very like, you know, sensual, like, you know, he was, he, he, he like couldn't, like he resorted to like extreme measures to sort of experience pleasure. 
especially like sexual pleasure after that, which is how he got into like the autoerotic asphyxiation thing. And then yeah. boom, he, he went too far and he died. Just kind of fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I think when they first, I was reading about it, when they first kind of reported on it, uh, it kind of makes sense for the time. They just kind of were like, you know, death by hanging. Right. You know, but then it kind of came out. It's like, well, you know, yeah. not, not, yes, but not really. Not how you think. <laughs> you know, yeah. And so, I mean, it's so unfortunate because I really do feel like he is a guy that would have just continued to have been like a unique artist in his own right. Like that solo album came out, it, I believe, like 99 and you know i wonder like what michael hutchins would be in 2022 and i think it could be interesting because they just feel like they still had such a strong sense of themselves that even as much as i like you too right that i feel like you two kind of like oh, yeah. lost that kind of oh, pretty yeah. early yeah <laughs> like even when you're watching like live i think it's live aid actually with them too and there's like a point where they're doing like medleys of songs right it's, it's still like pretty corny yeah <laughs> as much as i love you too <laughs> you know and it's like i'm just like oh yeah. you know it's you know and i feel like nxs seemed to have like more taste yeah there i, you know? I mean they were more like I, I feel like they had a lot of artistry in how they approached like especially by the mid 80s they were they were kind of like yeah we're bored being a blues rock band like let's do something more interesting yeah um, yeah so i guess that you know kind of leads us into so we talked about it when we were starting, but so Warren and Red, mm -hmm. your band, uh, reunited, and you're playing fast. So, so I guess like leading us up to that, how did Warren and Red reunite? I guess the simple question. Yeah, um, Tony, who runs the fest, um, is a super good and old friend of mine. Loved the episode that you guys did, um, by the way. Oh, and by the way, uh, Avail, Joe from Avail's biggest musical influence, according to a panel he did at Mac Rock in 1998 that I still remember, Marginal mm -hmm. Man. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. You guys were, so were like, trying to figure it out. So do you think out. that, um, so that, that's probably that DNA that we were trying yep. to like pinpoint, like kind of where did they get that sound? Yeah. That, that's interesting because I feel like, I mean, no one really ever cites Marginal Man or like Beef Eater or something. Yeah. Those kind of, those era, that lane of like, yeah, Mar that's, that's Marginal Man. And then also exactly like Born Against from a touring ethic because Born Against uh, moved to Richmond to get away mm -hmm. from the the tough guy, Born Against is fucking dead, yeah. you know, like New York hardcore scene. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And they moved to Richmond of all places. Uh, Sammy Feeders writes about this in uh, Mutations, I think it's called, right? The, the book that he put out. I believe um, that that's that's right. And, yeah, I think. But so. what's not in that book is that they, when they got there, they met Avail and a couple other bands, but especially Avail, who were like really keen to like tour more. And Bornigan's basically taught them how to tour. And Tim and Joe will tell in any interview that asked them about it, they're like, Bornigan's is the reason Avail like became like a band anybody heard of or cared about, because those guys took the time to like hook us up with booking contacts and like you know, show us like what to do and what not to do as a DIY band on the road. And I think like you can hear like even a little bit of Born Against Influence in like, like a song like Blue Ridge on 4am Friday or, you know, like a little, little screamier kind of more like, um, like, like more like staccato kind of like songs. But anyway, hmm, that makes sense. Yeah. So Tony, Tony is a, a really good and old friend of mine. And I don't remember when we started talking about it. But at one point, I think he was up here visiting he was like, yeah, Fest 20, like, you know, bunch of going to try to get a bunch of like old bands together. Um, you know, Warren Red should do it. 
and I think he was just kind of saying it as like a, like Brad is standing in front of me. I'm going to like, you know, sort of like throw this, this idea that I doubt he even like remembered or like fully meant that, but yeah. um, he was just, you know, have, he was having a good time and he was like, you guys should do it, you know? And, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then like, I didn't really think much of it either. Cause I it's kind of like felt the same, like, oh yeah, it's not going to happen. And then Joe, the, one of the guitar players, like just by total coincidence, right around that same time, texted, we had a, a we still had like a group text because we we're all still friends. So we would like, you know, kind of like joke around every now and then or send each other stuff. Joe texted the group, the group thread and was like, like, hey, this is a crazy idea, but for reasons that are, are complicated to get into on a podcast, but I, I would really appreciate if there's any chance that we could play one reunion show just so that like my fiance and some other people could like see it and and so that I could like kind of like enjoy it in a in a different way. Um now that now that I don't like parties much anymore and stuff. And it was like, okay, um interesting. Like I love Joe. So I, you know, I would entertain it for it was also the middle of the pandemic and it was just like fuck it. Like I'll say yes to yeah. all kinds of stuff, you know. And so yeah. I wasn't really sure that the other guys would want to, uh, but I was like, why not? Like, it'd be fun. I don't really have anything um, super serious. Like I've just been, I had that this band at the time called Washers, but future was kind of uncertain with them. And so I was just like, yeah, why not? Um, and so he like put it out to the other guys and they were all like, yeah, if Brad, if Brad will do it. You know, and I was kind of like, well, if they'll do it, you know? So Joe was like, okay, everybody here thinks everybody else won't do it, but all of you said you will do it. And so we we did like um, I guess that had already happened, and then Tony mentioned the thing about like Fest Twenty, and then like we had been talking about just getting together to just like try to like knock the the dust off of the old songs and just just for fun, like just to get together to see how it was. And so, right like I feel like a month or so after I had talked to Tony, that happened. And it was fun and it wasn't as like terrible as like I, you know, I think I thought it might be as far as remembering stuff. And um, then I was like hanging out with Tony again a little bit later. And I was like, hey, were you serious about like one thing? He's like, he's like, I mean, yeah, if you guys can do it, like you gotta let me know soon though, because I'm like already like, you know, three, four slay booked up. I was like, all right, shit. So um I I asked the dudes, like, would you? you like you have to commit like if we're gonna do this we're gonna do it like we gotta drive down there but would you guys want to do fest if it was in the cards and everyone's like hell yeah fest 20 that'd be amazing because we played like fest five through 13 or something so yeah. um yeah i reached back out to tony and he was like perfect timing like i have like the perfect slot for you guys on the perfect show like here you go so it was like all right cool and i think you know the fact that like we're i think like part of like trying to get like 12 hour turn and like all these like old bands back together which i think sadly they just had to drop but like getting all these like old yeah. bands of that or earlier eras to kind of represent like the early vanguard of fest um was probably something that tony i mean tony must have had it in the back of his mind because like he had mentioned as much to me so um i'm happy to be a part of that uh, that'll be fun uh get to see a bunch of friends and um, we're going to play some other shows. Like we're playing a warm-up show in Richmond with our friends, doll baby who haven't, they haven't played a show in like almost three years. Oh yeah. And, uh, our friends, dark waters, that'll be like 
October 21st at this rad little place called Fuzzy Cactus. And then we're going to do a, a show in Savannah um, with this band called Holy Ghost Tabernacle Choir and a bunch of other rad bands, like a pre-fest kind of thing on the way down on the Thursday before fest. And then we're going to do a weekend on my birthday, actually, in Charlottesville, where the band existed for a long time on November 11th, and then in DC on November 12th with some good friends. And that'll, that'll probably be it for the foreseeable future. Um, but, you know, now that we've, like, gotten back together, like, if the right show came along, I'm sure we'd come out of retirement for, for a minute or two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's great that, well... Actually, Late Bloomer played the last Warner Red did, show. Yeah, well, the second to last. You played the last <laughs> Richmond one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, does everyone live in Richmond now, or is it still split between the two? Still split. So Joe and Brendan live in Charlottesville, and uh, Nagel and I live in Richmond. But we practice in Richmond. Yeah. And, yeah, I guess you kind of answered that question, but I, I'm just, like, thinking, I'm like, would we see new Warner Red music? Probably not, um, just because, like, I don't know that's like a whole other level of commitment <laughs> like, yeah, yeah i mean if something like yeah. naturally happened uh maybe but then you gotta then you gotta like figure out recording and putting it out and promoting it and then you're definitely playing more shows like yeah th- yeah then you're signing up for a bunch yeah i'm, <laughs> I'm content to to play some sh- play these shows and and potentially play a show or two beyond if it's in the cards but um you know we'll see i i don't know like i never thought we'd be doing this um and I don't even know what if there's any demand for it, to be honest. Like, I've been kind of, like, pleasantly surprised by people's reaction. Like, I honestly, like, I feel like when we were around in Richmond, like, on a good night, we could, like, if, except for our final show, like, we could maybe get 35 people to come out, like, at most. Yeah. Like, so it's not like, I wasn't really, like, you know, oh, there's great demand for this. I mean, we, that was not the motivation. The motivation was our friend who started this awesome fest who that was like a huge part of our existence as a band and also when we were on no idea tony did pr for us through southern Eleven. um like you know this person who's like so connected to me as a friend and so connected to the band uh over the years like fest was such a huge part like it kind of just made sense that like if we could do it let's do it so Fest 20 was the main reason that it all happened. And then like the other stuff just kind of shook out. Yeah. I mean, I love seeing that y'all have reunited. I mean, it's, I've been in bands that it's like, I don't, you know, if I broke up tomorrow, I'm not sure, but it's like, you know, if anyone would really care, right. but it's like, it really matters between the people. And even if it's like a small amount of people, like, I don't know, that's like the hard thing with like being in a band is just simply just kind of like keep doing it right. because it feels like, that kind of obsessive thing of like, if I could just stop either talking about music or playing music, I would, but I feel like if I just stopped playing with my bandmates now, I would just call them the next day and be like, Hey, you want to start something new? So it's like, what's the point? You know? So I'm just like, Oh, it's, it's almost like a curse sometimes. Yeah. Uh, But it's just like, I know I'm going to keep doing it in some fashion. So why, why wouldn't it just be, with people I love. Yeah. And love you know? so I feel like that's what it is with the worn and red, you know, like it totally makes sense. It's like, that's one, that's the thing I feel like I knew about y'all. It's like y'all were friends in a band. Yeah. That's right. You know? Yeah. And so I mean, like, like it was also really Joe, Joe like started, like he owns a restaurant now, which is a crazy commitment. And so like, you know, it, it's hard for 
you know, me with like my like family and, and job and, and commitments and him with his super crazy business commitment to find time to get together. Like we hadn't seen each other in ages uh, until like finally like pandemic, like just we even before the word in red stuff, like I was like, you got to come like you haven't even been to my new house. Like you got to come hang out, you know, like so like we we got to see each other a few times during that. But like the the excuse just to get together every week and just like be together like that's that's another reason to do it because like I still love talking with Joe and hanging out with Joe. So like this forces us to like, <laughs> like have a reason to do it, you know, Brandon and, and, and same with Nagel, even though Nagel lives here, he, he lives out in the burbs and, and like, he has his own crazy schedule with his kid and, and like his job. And, you know, like, so I, we don't see each other that often. So, you know, seeing him more is cool. And Brandon is actually, um, you know, who, who is actually my, my like long, like my oldest friend in the band. Uh, he and I have played in tons of bands together um, and still playing an Operation Ivy tribute band once a year Yeah, uh, with the guys yeah. from uh, from Mouthbreather and Sea of Storms. But uh, like, you know, he he and I had like kept kept in, in the closest touch, but it's it's awesome. Like, you know, again, like now I get to see him every week. So, I mean, that's that's honestly like been the coolest part about it besides the, the music and, and having fun, like relearning the songs. Yeah. And I'll, I'll take a quick break right here. Um, so I think we can probably yeah, I, I gotta go stop put the kids it to bed. basically now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I kind of it went longer than I thought, but that's totally fine. That's not uncommon for this podcast. Right. But um, yeah, so we can, I'll just kind of pick it back up and be like, you know, I appreciate, you know, if you had like anything else you want to say about NXS, but I think we said I it. Think we we did. talked about them for like an hour. Yeah. Um, so yeah. All right. So let me pick it back up, Josh, pick up. Well, with that, I mean, I appreciate you taking the time. You know, I hope that I'll be able to see any of the Warren and Red reunion stuff, you know, but I'm excited that it's happening. So thanks for taking the time to talk about NXS and kind of like making me fully realize that this is an amazing band that more people should be talking about, even though it sounds silly with a platinum record band. Yeah. (laughs) So thank you. Yeah, man. Uh, I had a blast. It was great to see you and talk with you but also like i I love talking about this band uh they're they're uh fundamental to my love of rock and roll music so yeah Yeah. happy to talk about nxs anytime and if you ever uh find yourself doing karaoke with me we need to do we need to do some nxs songs Uh, i hope it's in my range that's what i was kind of trying to think (laughs) because i've never been a big uh karaoke person and I feel like I've never so because I've avoided it. When I've tried to do it more, I've like, oh damn, people have to think about things in their range, and you have to like pick your song, yeah. you know. And that that's like it seems foreign to me. I know most people have figured it out like twenty years ago, but I'm like, I just stick with like uh, Beth by Kiss because it's like super easy <laughs> and it bums people out. Um, so Especially yeah, the I'll, I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll see if it uh, is in my range, and I'll take you All up right. on that. Welcome back. Thanks again to Brad for coming on the pod. Always a great time catching up. And if you're headed to the fest in a few weeks, definitely go check out their set. Also, go check out the conversation I had with Tony of the fest back on episode 93. Next week, we're talking with another longtime friend, Peter Helmus of the band Algernon Cadwallader. He also played in Dogs on Acid, Yankee Bluff, Mike Bell in the Movies, and so many others. 
More on that next week. Once again, don't forget to check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Pod. My co-host Sarah and I, we listen to records we liked a lot when we were younger and revisit them as much older and jaded individuals. You can subscribe for as little as $1 a month or more, and you'll get an exclusive episode every week. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at SpinningOutPod. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave a comment, and I hear reviews definitely help. Thanks as always to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Okay, see you next week.